are now listening to PursuitCast, the official podcast of Pursuit NYC. May it be an encouragement to you today and stir your soul for revival. I haven't preached at, at a Pursuit meeting officially in a while, so uh, I promise not to go over three hours, amen? So let's pray, and uh, we'll just jump around throughout Scripture a few times. Father God, I just want to thank you, God, that, that you are a good God. Lord, there isn't a formula to your love. You just pour it out. And Lord, like we said, your love is reckless, but it's never wasteful. It has a purpose. It has a point to it, God, and it's us. Yes. So, Lord, have your way in this moment. God, we believe even what you did just now is just the, the, the tipping point, the beginning of what you want to pour out on the rest of us tonight. So, Holy Spirit, stir up the expectancy. Stir up the faith so we can have all that you want to give us. We thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. Before we go any further, can we give a hand to the worship team? They're just amazing, anointed, people who love God. Matthew 24, verse 1. You can turn there or open up an app, unlock your phone, whatever you need to do. But Matthew chapter 24, verse 1. If you're there, say, I got it. Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. Do you see all these things? He asked. Truly, I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Jesus answered, Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Anyone encouraged so far? Right? No, right? <laughs> then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. It gets worse. And you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And the end will come. Now I think if we read this for face value, we, we start to feel kind of discouraged, kind of depressed. But how many of you know every time God tells you a problem, it comes with hope because he's the answer. It's like he's giving you a take-home test because he mentions the problem, but he's reminding you he's the answer. So even as we read this, we can see all the terrible things that's going to happen. There's going to be wars, rumors of wars, earthquakes, crazy things, famines, false prophets, and on and on it goes. But look at how it ends. It ends with the gospel of the kingdom being preached in all nations, then Jesus returns. There's problems in the in-between, but it concludes with revival. 
Now, I don't know about you, but I would define revival as the gospel being preached in every single nation, so much so that Jesus is like, it's time, and he shows up. Because Jesus coming back is not because we failed as a church, we failed as Christians, the church is compromised, we're broken, we're messed up, and Jesus is like, oh man, I have no other choice but to get on my horse, i got to come rescue these guys. But he's coming as a celebration, the culmination, the, the icing on the cake, because the gospel works. Amen? Because the gospel works because we win. And I want us to, to read this passage from that perspective because He is a God of hope. He's the God of joy. He's the God of love. He's, he's everything we could ever want for. And He's telling us the problem while reminding us He's still the answer. And I think the times that we live in, we could look at the hurricanes and, and all the issues, the earthquakes, the problems, uh, uh, this nation, the, the, who's in leadership, and, and on and on and on, and, and all these different things. We could look at the racial tension exists, or we could look to Jesus. Now, it doesn't mean that darkness isn't there. That's not what this chapter is telling us. But even in the midst of darkness, light is here because you're here. Turn to the person next to you and say, you are light. Right? Can, can you say to the other person, but with like conviction, like, you are light. Alright, all right. we're, we're getting there. I know my sermon just started, but the Lord help me, help me preach this. But, but Jesus is coming back for a victorious church. I mean, even in this passage, it says all of these are the beginning of birth pains. Now, I'm not married yet. Y'all need to pray. <laughs> Why did he laugh so hard? What? What? I have feelings, bro, right? But I've never met a married couple wanting to have a baby because they want to go through pain. Like, man, I can't wait to be in pain. Man, I, I can't. No, they have, they, they plan to have a child. They get pregnant to give birth to new life. Amen? Don't let what you have to go through blind you from the life that's to come. That's why Jesus, all of this is is beginning of birth things. He's about to birth revival like never before. Now, if you're like me, you get overwhelmed by the news reports, amen? Storm after storm and all these crazy things. And, and, and And I think that's why Jesus says that in the end times, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of many will grow cold. I think that's what happens where we're so uh, bombarded by news reports and tragedies and all these different things where we can't help but to uh, uh, become calloused or, or, or uh, apathetic or allow our hearts to grow cold. But this isn't a, 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 a death sentence from the Lord, but rather an invitation to keep our hearts burning. I think that's what I believe it is. And then once again, it goes back to a place where revival is going to come. It's easier to focus on what we have to go through and everything like that, or we could focus on the greater thing, which is the kingdom that's at hand. We live by faith, not by sight. Amen? We are part of a kingdom that says what is unseen is greater than what is seen. It's easy for us to go into any situation, any circumstance, point out the issues, the flaws. In the same way, you could go to a church, you could point out the issues of the pastor, the worship team, the greeter, uh, the usher, and all these different things. Or we could shift our attitude and focus on what God is doing. I mean, that's a conviction I I choose to to follow for the rest of my life is, God, I refuse to be a cynic or a critic of anyone else. Now, even in the beginning, how many remember uh, um, Hurricane Harvey in Houston? And there was this big whole drama with, with Lakewood Church and Joel Osteen and, and, and everything like that. And, and regardless of what you feel about their theology or, or, or what was the initial report, I want you to that, that know that there's no one who's doing more for the city of Houston right now than Lakewood Church. 
Right? Even just recently, they did this huge benefit concert. They brought Bethel, house fires. I don't know why Jay didn't get invited. I think he lost his invitation. But they brought everyone out because they want to bless their city. And that's our role as Christians, is that we are called to be a blessing in these dark times. We're called to be light in these dark times. Because at the end, we win. At the end, revival comes. Now, I'm not saying be weird people. You know, when, when other people are, are suffering, they're, they're going through all these difficulties, we're like, hey, bro, just cheer up. Like, I'm not saying be weird, amen. We're called to mourn with those who mourn, suffer with those who suffer. But at the end of the day, we're called to be light, to be hope in hopeless situations. Did you know that the people who have the most influence are those who always has the most hope? We're called to be influencers because we're supposed to change culture and society as the people of God. I want to share this thing from um, a pastor in Phoenix. His name is uh, Michael Maiden, and he wrote this uh, a month ago. I read this at last month's gathering as well, but it's so good. I need to read it again. And this is what he says. He says, natural disasters are not God's judgment on our country or God trying to get our attention. They're simply the product of a sinful, imperfect, and broken world. Jesus himself, who is sinless and perfect, and God's beloved son, faced several storms in which he either slept in, rebuked, or walked through. The Apostle Paul endured a brutal, long-lasting hurricane, even though he was in the center of God's will for his life. Paul used his faith to believe for not one person to die in a ship, and no one did. He then saw an entire people group previously unreached, saved and healed on the island of Malta. Something really good came out of something really bad. God uses people of faith in times of trouble and hardships to make a difference in the lives of those who are hurting and in need. Instead of trying to place a false blame and further discourage people who are truly suffering, let us as God's people share God's love and hope to all in this generation. In the midst of pain, hopelessness, and darkness, this is our time to shine. Amen? Turn to the person next to you and say, it's your time to shine. Turn to the other person and say, the time is now. I believe it's time for us to truly be who God says that we are. Amen? When Jesus turns to his people, his disciples, us today, and he tells us that we are the salt and the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth and the light of the world. That's what he says. He says, that's who you are. You ever notice where Jesus says, I want you to try to be salt. Try to. No, he says, that's who you are. And I believe it's time that we are awakened to the reality of who we are in this world. And first John, it says, as Christ is, so are we. We're Jesus with skin on. Amen. That Jesus dwells within you. He lives within you and he wants to make himself manifest through you to the people around you. Whatever hopeless situation you're in, there's hope, there's peace. Because peace isn't the absence of conflict, it's the presence of a person, person of Jesus Christ. So everywhere you go, you're called to be a change agent, a catalyst. It's time to shine the light of Jesus Christ. That's why in Isaiah chapter 60, it says, arise and shine, not arise and reflect. Amen. You are the light. That's why even Paul says, You are the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Not Christ instead of you. It's partnering with God, co-laboring with God, dreaming with God to say yes to the solutions in his heart. And he's looking for people who will step up and step into the reality of who they are as sons and daughters of the Most High to bring problems into problemless situations. We bring heaven solutions to earth problems. 
And that's who we are as salt and light. Jesus isn't coming back for a dying church, but a victorious church. He's not coming back for a damsel in distress, but a beautiful bride made ready. The Bible says we go from glory to glory, which means our best days are ahead of us. Amen. We go from faith to faith, strength to strength, glory to glory. It gets better and better in God. Now, it it might be difficult to get there. You might have to pay a price to get there. It will require faithfulness to get there. But the promise is, it's glory to glory. Just a side note I want to uh, say right here is, it never says you go from faithfulness to faithfulness. Because faithfulness is the key to glory to glory. Amen? Faithfulness is the key to glory to glory. No matter what you're facing, stay faithful because his words are true. Now Jesus went, you guys all know Jesus, amen? If you don't, I can't wait to introduce you to him. But we all serve Jesus. We know that he died for us. He rose again. He ascended into heaven. And he said, wait for the promise of my Holy Spirit. Then you will be empowered to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And, And when the Holy Spirit comes, Pentecost happens, thousands come to faith, tons of people are healed. And it says that every that people are added to them daily. That's an amazing church, amen? Imagine you're a home church. Let's say 3,000 people got, get saved tonight. Like there's, your church would be overwhelmed. You'd be like, why did we sign up? You know, like all these crazy things. But that's what happens in the early church. But how many of you know that Jesus didn't leave a, a victorious church to come back for an inferior one? Does that make sense? That he didn't leave the church in his glory days and he's coming back for because uh, we messed it up so much. He's like, oh man, they, they've ruined a good thing. But he's coming back because we stepped into who we truly are as the bride of Christ, as the church. He's wanting a body in proportion to its head. How many guys have ever watched Captain America before? The first one. I think I like all the Captain Americas except the first one. <laughs> right? And the reason why is, is when the main character, before he becomes uh, Captain America, his body's all CG'd up. You know what I mean? So he has like his normal head, but his body's like, like he looks so scrawny compared to his head. And like, it's, it grosses me out. Like, is that, is that shallow? I don't know. But like, like, I hate it because the head is normal, but the body is just not in proportion to its head. But oftentimes, that's what we think the church is, that Jesus is the head, but he has this anemic body. But he's wanting to train up his body to be in proportion to its head. That's the church that Jesus is coming back for. So when darkness is around you, when we see tragedies and news reports and all these crazy things, it's not an excuse for us to cower and pray, Jesus come back soon, but it's our time to rise up. Darkness is an invitation for you to be light. Because if we're light, how many of you know darkness is good for business? If we are like darkness is good for business because that's when we're needed the most is to be light in dark places. Darkness is our cue to enter the scene. This is our time to shine the light of God like never before. Because like I mentioned with Harvey, there's churches on the scene even now. I think it's so so, uh, quick for us, especially when we're uh, living so far away to be disconnected. But the church is on the scene even there. Amen. Even when Hurricane Sandy uh, Sandy came to this region, it's been reported that the church was the first to respond and the church was the last to stay. Because that's who we are as the people. It might not be reported in the news. It might not be reported in the media. But this is the greatest time for us as the people of God. Because there's a hopeless world out there wanting to know if this Jesus thing is for real. 
and he put you on assignment to be light. I think it's easy for us to think, man, if Jesus would just come to my home, then my home would get saved. Man, if Jesus would just come to my workplace, then my workplace would get saved. If Jesus would just come to my school, then my school would get saved. But you going is like the same thing. Because Christ already lives in you. Amen? Because Christ is in you. Like I said earlier, it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. So then in that place, then how do we be light? Right? Jesus says, you're light. I want you to shine. I want you to do these things. So how do we do it? And I believe the key is in the following chapter of Matthew 25. Right? Turn with me there if you would like to go. But Matthew 25, verse 1. So after Jesus just uh, shares all these things that's going to happen, he goes on to just share even more of, of what it's going to be like, that ultimately no one knows the day or the hour, so be prepared, be faithful, don't be deceived. And then he goes into this following chapter of parables of what it's going to be like in the end days. And I believe this first parable is a picture of how we be like. Amen? You ready? Matthew chapter 25, verse 1. It says, at that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamp but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish one said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, they may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came, Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. Now, in this parable, we see there's 10 bridesmaids. They're getting ready for a a wedding celebration, a banquet. And, And on the exterior, you couldn't tell who was the real deal and who wasn't. They all had lamps. They all dressed nice. I'm sure they got their hair done, their hair did. You know, they probably did the mask, you know what I mean? But I did it. I got, don't look at my face. I got like a breakout, right? You know? That's why Janet isn't here. I, no, I'm just kidding. She messed me up. But, um, so from the exterior, you couldn't tell who had oil and who didn't until oil was needed. So you could go to church, you could go to pursue, you could do all these different things, but you won't know who really has oil until it matters. The bridegroom was coming in the middle of the night when it was dark, darkest. And I believe that's why we need people burning for Jesus. Because he's coming at the time when it's darkest. So he needs light to pave the way for him to come. So he's coming back. And there's no light without fire. There's no fire without oil. And, and this parable says that every single one of them fell asleep. So I don't think the f- problem is in falling asleep. Because I believe even the best of us fall asleep sometimes spiritually. Even the most anointed, the most holy, uh, maybe, maybe not Josh, you know. But, but all of us, we, we, we mess up sometimes. We fall asleep sometimes. I don't think that's the issue. The issue is in preparation. Because they all fell asleep. But when the time came, only those who had oil was able to step up while those who didn't couldn't. So what is the significance of oil? What does the oil mean? I think this whole chapter is about awakening the church. 
that the brides are all falling asleep and we need an awakening in the church to rise up. In Ephesians chapter 5, it talks about that in the last times, it's time to wake up, O sleeper, rise so that the light of Christ can shine on you. Then Paul goes on to talk about how there's a difference between the foolish people and the wise people. The foolish people are caught up in the things of the world. They're getting drunk on wine. But wise people are, are filled with the Holy Spirit. The difference in between the foolish and the wise in the end times in that passage in Ephesians chapter 5 are those who are filled with the Holy Spirit and those who aren't. So this is my opinion. This is my belief. But I believe oil in this passage then represents the presence of the Holy Spirit and intimacy with God. Turn to the person next to say intimacy with God. Right? I, I believe that oil represents intimacy with God in unseen places, in the secret place, and the presence of the Holy Spirit abiding in the heart of the believer. Because when they went to go prepare oil, it says they, they did it when no one knew, no one saw. That's when they got jars of oil. I mean, that's what oil represents. It's intimacy with God, not in a worship service, not, not at church, but in unseen places. You're cultivating presence of the Holy Spirit and intimacy with God in that place. So they, they all fall asleep. That's not the issue. But some actually built that up and some didn't. So the foolish bridesmaids didn't have oil and they turned to the wise and said, hey, can you help us? Can you give us some oil? And they said, if, if I give it to you, then both of us won't have enough. And I think this tells us you can't live off of someone else's faith. It doesn't matter how anointed your pastor is. It doesn't matter how anointed your family is, your spouse is, your significant other is. You need oil for yourself. How many of you know that God doesn't have any grandchildren? Amen. He's a father to all. You can't be grafted in, inherit someone else's faith. You need one for yourself. I think that's what it tells us. You need a faith for yourself. You need to know Christ for yourself. You can't live off of someone else's testimony, but you need to go after one for yourself. So that's what I believe it says. Give us some more. I can't give you what I have because then we'll both mess up. We'll both miss it. So, so they're, they're scrambling. They're trying to go buy oil. And they finally, they go out to get it. And, and they come back, but it's too late. And I think that tells us once again, we need a genuine connection with God and not just the right belief systems. You can't go buy uh, an anointing. You can't go buy a secret place. Like You can't go buy uh, uh, someone else's faith. Are you with me? You ever know that story in, in, in Acts? There's like crazy things in Acts. You should read it, right? It's crazy. Some of those things, like, I, I don't even know if it makes sense, but I want my shadow to heal people too, you know? Uh, I cast a pretty big shadow, you know, so why, why y'all laugh? What? It's so discouraging, right? But there's one person who's like, I, I've seen you cast out demons. I'll, how much can I pay you to get this anointing? And they're like, you're perverting the gospel. And like, they kill him, you know? There's another story where there's like this rabbi. He hears like people praying in Jesus' name. So they, he sees a demonized person. He walks over. It's like, in the name of Jesus that Paul preaches, I rebuke you. And the demons are like, time out, time out. Like, I know Jesus. We're afraid of him. We know Paul because we try to kill him. He's ruining our lives. But who the heck are you? And they start beating up the rabbi. Because he tried to buy something that he didn't have for himself. We need to have that anointing, that connection, that relationship to God for ourselves. And here's the good news. God wants that for you too. That God wants that for you more than you want it for yourself. Because we already have access to God. We just need to say yes and go after it. 
I believe that we need heavenly strategies and wisdom and battle plans for the days that we're living in. If we're going to successfully be all that God wants us to be as life, we need to hear from heaven. We need to hear what he wants us to do. I think that's why we need to develop that oil for this time so that our fire can burn. And here's the thing that I've noticed about the fire of God. The fire of God isn't to to, to burn really bright as much as it's to burn long. Because I don't care how passionate you are in the moment. I don't care how passionate you are in your teens, in your 20s, in your 30s or whatever. I want to see people burning to the end. Burning to the finish line. That's what we need oil for. Not just for the moment, but for the rest of our lives so that Jesus can come. So we can light up the way so that he could receive the fullness of his reward that is rightfully his. We need that oil to burn. We need that oil to burn. The gospel shows us that you can know all the right theology. You can follow all the laws. You can memorize entire books of scripture and still miss Jesus. I think that's crazy about the Pharisees. I mean, they're more disciplined than I. They've memorized more scripture than me. They're more more disciplined. They're, They're all these different things. And their prayer, their hope was to finally see Messiah come and and redeem their people. They knew the word of God, but they missed the word in flesh. Because I think that tells us you can be religiously active, but still be spiritually asleep. God wants to awaken you, not to religion, but to intimacy. To actually know him beyond the rules, the laws, the have-tos, the must-tos. But just come away with me. Just know me. Just be with me. I think that's why when the bridegroom does come and the bridesmaids are outside, the the, the groom isn't like, y'all, y'all didn't have oil. You can't come. But look at what he says. He says, I don't know you. That's kind of an interesting statement, right? It's like they missed out on oil, but he says to them, I don't know you. Because once again, it's coming back to that intimate place. Even in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says in the last days, many people will come and say, Lord, Lord, we casted out demons in your name. We prophesied in your name. We healed in your name. And this is what Jesus says. He says, I never knew you. Isn't that so interesting? Jesus doesn't say, you didn't do what I told you to do. But he says, I never knew you. Because they knew all the things about God, but they never allowed themselves to be vulnerable before God to allow God to know that. There's only thing more precious than knowing God, and that's God knowing you. And that happens in intimacy as you're before the Lord. So these people who are religiously active but spiritually asleep miss Jesus But the broken people, the prostitutes, the lepers, the widows, the tax collectors, they were able to access Jesus because there's a level of hunger there. Hunger is the door to intimacy. And here's the amazing thing about hunger. I think I'm going to preach on hunger one day. I don't know when. But here's the thing about hunger. In the world, you grow hungry by not eating. But in the kingdom of God, you grow hungry by eating. Amen? Amen. I think somebody like, I don't know. I'm physically hungry, so I'm not listening. I'm going to say it again. In the world, you go hungry by not eating. But in the kingdom of God, you grow hungry by eating. Why? Because Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see the Lord. It might not make sense in the beginning. This Jesus guy, really, he died for my sin. He really rose again. But once you step into it. And you taste it and you see it for yourself. And he becomes the bread of life. Everything changes. How many of you guys like sushi here? Y'all are nasty. You eat raw fish. You know what I mean? Let's think about sushi for a moment. Like when you first look at it. I know you guys are are, are sophisticated connoisseurs of of edible things. I don't know. I'm trying to be fancy right now. But 
So y'all know what sushi is. But if you think about it, if you've never eaten it before, you're telling someone to take a fish that, does, that someone just killed, chopped up, and eat it right there on the spot. That's kind of nasty if you think about it. Who here likes eggs? Right? Y'all are murderers. You're like, precious egg, you won't be a chicken because I want to eat you as an ember. That's nasty, right? But how many of you know sometimes you got to taste it before you see it? If you just think about it logically or, or reasonably, it doesn't make sense unless you step into it and taste it and see for yourself the goodness of God. But why would someone sell all their possessions, move to a third world country and give their lives for the gospel unless they tasted it, then they saw it? Who would give their lives against criticism and, 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 and hatred and all these different things and stand firm for Jesus unless they tasted and saw? It wasn't a place of discipline. I got to do this or else, but I'm in love. I'm in love. I tasted it and I saw it for myself and I can't help but chew it in. We need that intimacy for ourselves, that hunger for ourselves. And I believe tonight that God wants to stir up hunger in you, if that's you tonight. Amen. God wants to stir it up, the gift of hunger to go after the things of God, to pursue God with everything you have. This is a little off tangent, but I just really feel this in my, in my spirit. But how many of you know that Jesus never gave an option for lukewarm Christianity? Right? Did you even know? I, I would even go on to say it's been said that radical Christianity doesn't exist. Because Christianity is inherently radical. It's like saying San Juan is good looking, good looking. It's like, why have you just said it twice? You know what I mean? But I'm trying to make sure y'all are awake. But to say that Christianity is radical doesn't make sense because in its essence, it's radical. Jesus never gave an option for any other type of Christianity. So in, in, in Revelations, it said there's Jesus... Uh, uh, it, the church, if it's hot, it's cold. But if it's lukewarm, he spits you out. And I was thinking about that actually during worship. Have you ever drank rotten milk before? Right, by accident? Not like, I love it. Like, that's weird, you know? Well, y'all need deliverance. We got, we, we, we'll take care of you tonight as well. Right? The piano just got loud. I don't know why, but you need deliverance from, from liking rotten milk. We got you at Pursuit. Right, but if you accidentally drink rotten milk, you spit it out. Not because it isn't milk, but it's a, perver a perverted form, right? It's not that it's no longer milk. It's, it's not the, the original intent of what you want it to be. I think that's why Jesus spits out lukewarm faith. Not because it isn't faith. It's not its original intent. It's a perverted version of what Jesus died for. He didn't die for casual faith. He died for real faith, genuine faith that wants to know him with everything that you got. Anything less than that is missing what Jesus died for. And I think that's what these wise bridesmaids under, understood. They, they got it. They, they fought for it. They paid the price in unseen places so that when it was needed the most, it was there. And like I said, the problem isn't falling. So we all mess up. We all make a mistake. But it's never too late to go after that oil because the bridegroom hasn't come yet, but he's coming soon. That's what I really want us to press in for and towards tonight is to stir up hunger and to pour out oil. To stir up hunger and pour out oil. It's so easy for us to be casual with God, satisfied with self and, and filled with the world and no longer in need or, or, or be hungry for God. I think in that moment, Jesus invites us to repent. I think when we think of repentance, we usually think it's like, oh, I'm, I'm so dirty, I'm so messed up. Like, God, I, I'm a worm. 
I think that's kind of how we view repentance. But I believe this is more of coming back to where you belong. It's not a condemnation thing. It's not a shame thing. It's, man, you, this is where you belong. And I think in order for us to uh, reclaim that fire, that oil, that intimacy, I think it starts with repentance and saying, God, restore my first love. Restore my passion. Revive the fire in my heart. And the good news is, is that God is merciful, He's gracious, and He's ready to do it. And like I said, I believe what we need, this, this, this passage is talking about, is an awakening. We need an awakening in the church, amen? Unless the church gets revived, the world will never be revived. It starts with us, and we need an awakening in the church. The bridesmaids, they were awakened to the reality of God. A couple years ago, while I was praying, I had this vision of the church sleeping as Sleeping Beauty. Now, before you judge me, I've never watched Sleeping Beauty. It's just, you know, an iconic thing, okay? Amen, right? So I had a picture of the church sleeping as Sleeping Beauty, and nothing would wake up the church. You could set alarms. You could say, you are got to burn, you know, turn or burn. you got to repent, wake up. It's so urgent, wake up, wake up. And nothing would wake up the church until Jesus, the Prince of Peace, the bridegroom comes in, kisses the church, and the church wakes up. And I felt like in that moment, Jesus was telling me what's going to awaken the church isn't a sense of urgency, but romance. Romance with the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. God is going to wake up His church with His love. Because He's inviting you to intimacy, not following rules. Jesus didn't die for compliance. He died for friendship. Jesus doesn't say to us, you're still slaves. He says, you are no longer slaves, but I now call you friends. What's going to awaken the church is romance. It's the heart of God. Psalm 2, kiss the sun, lest you be destroyed. It's the romance of God, the heart of God. Even before that, it says, ask of me of the nations, and I'll give it to you as an inheritance. Kiss the sun, because it's in the romance, it's in the intimacy, it's in the connection with God that you see the nations coming to Jesus. We don't need more uh, rule followers. We need more lovers of God. And I think it starts with us being awakened to that. And once again, all of that in Scripture, it takes us back to where it all starts. And it tells us in first John, we love because God first loved us. We love because God first loved us. Do you know why we pursue God? Because He has first pursued us. My pursuit will always be in proportion to my revelation of His pursuit of me. It's His presence after us that awakens us to who we are, what we're called to do, who we're supposed to be. It's grace. And I think that's what this ultimately, this parable is pointing to, is grace. It's not discipline. It's not hard work. It's not being religious. It's grace. Because in Scripture, the number five is the number of grace. What set the, uh, the, 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 the foolish bridesmaids from the wise one was grace. I'm not saying that grace sets some people apart and, and it doesn't. But it's that, that grace is given to all. He's just looking for someone to say yes. The root of discipline isn't in me, my, my ability, my strength, my power, but it's in His grace that calls me to prepare. I believe even this moment of, of me sharing this message is a message of grace to awaken your heart, not to duty, but intimacy, friendship with God. Because it's grace. It's grace that awakens our pursuit after God because He pursued us first. He loved us first. And I believe He wants to awaken us to the awe and wonder of grace. His love, His romance, intimacy with God, because we have access to it all. Jesus didn't die. The death that He died 
so that we could just get to heaven, but so that we could bring heaven to earth. That's God's heart. That's what he died for. And anything less than that is missing the original intent of what God wants for you. So Father God, we just want to take this time tonight. We thank you for the grace that's available for every single one of us. And Lord, we want to say yes to you tonight. God, we need an awakening tonight. We need awakening tonight, not with alarm clocks, not with urgency, not with anything else, except your love, your romance, and your grace. So Lord, just like it says in your word, in 1 John, God, repent and do the things you did at first. You've forgotten your first love. That's not a death sentence. It's an invitation to be restored to all that Jesus paid for. But it's time for us to be awakened to love. So if that's you tonight and you're just saying, Sam, I just want to be awakened again. I just want to be reminded again. I I need to repent and do the things I did at first. If that's you, can I invite you to stand right where you're at? Because this is a place of just going after God. This is an invitation of grace, not shame, not, not, not comparison, not performance. But we're saying, God, I want this for myself. If you're here tonight and you're saying, I need to repent and I want to go back to the, my first love, I want to invite you to stand right where you're at tonight. And we're going to pray and press in together tonight. Because we want the love of God. We need the love of God. If you're here tonight as well and, 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 and you want the gift of hunger, that you've been faithful, you've been doing the right things, but, but you want to be hungry for the more, hungry for the greater, I want to invite you to stand tonight as well because there's grace to, to, to receive what God wants to do. You're asking God, stir up the gift of hunger within me. That I want more of your presence. I want more of you, God. So if you stood up for whatever it is, just start lifting your voices. Lift your hands if you need to. Just lift up your own prayer of forgiveness, of repentance. Whatever is just even declaring in faith the goodness of God. Whatever it is, let's stir up our, 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 our faith together right now. I want you to lift your voice right now. Whatever it is, let's ask God to come and touch you. Come and, come and touch you. Jesus has come to me. All who are weary and thirsty, He will fill you up. God, restore us tonight. God, we repent. We go back to the things we did at first, God. We're coming back to our first love tonight. We're coming back to our first love tonight, God. The things that matters most, which is you, which is your presence, God. Won't you stir the hunger within us for the bread of life? God, we've been filled with the things of this world for too long. God, won't you empty us so that we can be filled? Empty us so that we can be filled. Empty us so that we can be filled. Stir up a hunger within us, God. A passion for your name. A fire that burns. Not just bright, but a fire that burns long. A fire that burns long. Thank you for listening to Pursuit Cast. For more information on the ministry of Pursuit NYC, please visit us on the web at www.pursuitnyc.org. Revival or bust.